The 53rd New York Film Festival is right around the corner. Since 1963, NYFF has brought the best in world cinema to Lincoln Center, featuring established auteurs as well as fresh new talent. This year's edition is no different, with the latest from stateside favorites like Todd Haynes, Steven Spielberg, Michael Moore, and Danny Boyle, as well as international auteurs like Ho Shao Shen, Michelle Gondry, Chantal Ackerman, and Apichapong Wersithikal. The closing night selection comes from acclaimed actor Don Cheadle, who makes his directorial debut with Miles Ahead, the highly anticipated biopic of jazz legend Miles Davis. In addition to the main slate selections, the festival also includes newly restored classics, sidebars featuring exciting new works in documentary, avant-garde and immersive media, filmmaker talks, shorts programs, special events, and much more. Tickets to the New York Film Festival go on sale September 13th. Members at the film buff level or higher receive an early access period starting September 8th. NYFF packages of 12 tickets or more provide even earlier access with fulfillment beginning August 31st. Visit filmlink.org NYFF for more info. From the Film Society of Lincoln Center, welcome to another episode of The Close-Up. Each week, we bring you in-depth conversations with some of the biggest names in film. It's September 2nd, 2015. I'm Michael Odemark, one of the show's producers. Today, we're featuring legendary actress and comedian Lily Tomlin, who recently joined director Paul Weitz on stage here at the Film Society for one of our free talks, which are sponsored by HBO. Tomlin stars in Weitz's new comedy, Grandma, which is now in theaters. Writer-director Paul Weitz made a name for himself co-creating the American Pie franchise back in 1999. Since then, he has had an impressive career working as a writer, director, and producer on Hollywood comedies like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, About a Boy, and Admission. His latest film, Grandma, is a surprising detour into low-budget DIY filmmaking, an intimate character study designed for Lily Tomlin's characteristically acerbic wit. As David Rooney wrote in The Hollywood Reporter, Everything in the movie revolves around the irreplaceable Tomlin, and rightly so. Her entire history as an actor, a comedian, a feminist, and a pioneering voice for LGBT rights comes into play in this form-fitting role. Anybody who loves her won't want to miss this. Lily Tomlin and Paul Weitz took the stage in our amphitheater to talk about Grandma. Their conversation was moderated by our deputy director, Eugene Hernandez. Let's listen in. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome to the Film Society, Paul thanks, and Lily. Thanks for having us. We are so excited to have you here. You know, we put together this program of talks earlier this summer, and this movie was, um, after we saw it at Sundance, was at the top of our list, and we had to have the two of you here. Um, so thank you for taking the time to That's talk That's great. With us. Thank you. Um, it's been great talking to all of you. <laughs> First of all, um, you know, everybody who... Every time we talked about this program of talks and we said that, um, well, Lily in particular was coming in August. It was just such an energy that it was created around um, you, people that know you, know your work, are looking forward to engaging with you. I mean, Paul, you must see this in uh, everyday life uh, working with working with Lily, but um, it's just your, your presence definitely um, uh, really causes a, a jolt of energy among people. Um, I don't know how much you're aware of that, but I'm sure that you feel it. 
Yeah, um, I mean, I was only half joking. At one time I said that I did this for an excuse to spend time with Lily. Um, and uh, it's kind of true. Um, you know, we, we did a film together called Admission where she played Tina Fey's mom and it was a supporting role and I really felt, oh man, I, I want to work with Lily more and I want to tap into all this, um, not only humor, but intelligence and edge and dedication. Um, uh, you, it was so clear from that um, uh, how much she would have to offer as the lead in, in this film and and uh, how, in a way, underutilized... Well, look, Lily's, Lily's actually... I was just mentioning earlier that the night that we wrapped this film, we wrapped at 3 a.m., and then later the same day I went to see Lily doing her one-woman show um, in Northridge. <laughs> it's like two, more than two hours of just her on stage. Um, and the show is really edgy. I think that's another thing about Lily is that um, uh, she is in that great role for an intellectual comedian, um, which is she's able to talk about the things that ail us and she's not afraid of saying things. And that is always a, a youthful position to be in. I think the reason there was an electric shock that went through the audience is because most of them thought I might have died by now. <laughs> knew I hadn't because I was working with you. <laughs> that makes me think of this uh, routine that you mentioned <laughs> that you did for me on stage, which is a routine done for a long time about the person who's the life of the party at a funeral. <laughs> she uses the corpse as a ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> How you feel? I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about um, how the two of you came together to work on this particular project. Um, maybe um, I could certainly ask Paul to tell us where the idea came from, but I, some people might have read about that. I think it might be more interesting to ask Lily to talk about, t tell me about the first conversation you had with Paul about this character and, and this movie and what intrigued you about it. Well, I, I, don't, I don't entirely remember if... Did you just show up at my door? <laughs> yeah, I was stalking you. Well, did did, I, yeah. did my agent tell me that? No, that, I didn't tell you. I, I called you up and said, would you have lunch? And I remember that you were oh, eating steak salad. Oh, for this project. For this, well, yeah. I yeah. thought you were, oh, you were leading from yeah. admission. Oh, for this project, well, we finished admission. And then, uh, then Paul called me short time after that, after it was released, and we'd done press and everything, and... And you said, I want to talk to you about an idea I have. And I'm not I, sure I said that. <laughs> it wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think I said I want to have lunch. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, have lunch. And, uh, and you said, you told me, roughly told me the idea. And then you, and you said, uh, and then like two days later, you gave me a script, <laughs> it seemed. And I was a little nervous at first. I thought, oh gosh, what if, what if I don't like the script? And he said he's written it with me in mind, and <clears throat> it could be awkward, but I love the script, so. so it was very simple. Tell us a bit about what struck you about it. You said you loved it, um, so the writing was there, but what, what intrigued you enough to take it to the next level? Well, the fact that it takes place in one day and all this stuff that goes on, and you see the relationships between Elle and her daughter and her granddaughter and her ex-husband and her girlfriend and you see all the stuff she goes through to try to raise the money for her granddaughter who's in need and um, and they and, and Paul deals with just so many complexities of of uh, personality and and issue and 
and, and never is ham-fisted. It's always kind of delicately put and developed. And Sam Elliott uh, is my ex-husband, and that scene is really quite wonderful. And, you re and after I think about it, I realize that it's so good because it's just another layer, another layer, another layer, and it's real subtle. And, and it's really about me and my daughter and my granddaughter and three generations of women who are all different and we don't, we've not gotten along and there's a lot of split between me and my daughter and, and there's a glimmer of generational hope that the three of them will recreate their family. That's how I see it, but I'm not sure I'm right. But In, in, in uh, what ways was it different or what made it stand out from the other? You must get a lot of scripts. No, I don't, you don't get, get a lot many, of scripts. No. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry for you to learn that here. Yeah. <laughs> Is Gee. it true that you don't get very many scripts? No, I don't get a lot of scripts, no. First of all, I mean, I may have gotten more in the past, but not even then I didn't get a lot of scripts. But I'm of an age where you don't, you, I might get uh, an offer to do a supporting role or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and even then it may not be a bona fide offer. Uh, you know, people are always glad to have me if, for one reason or another. And are you being modest, or are you really? Is this no, like I'm not being modest. Honestly, I'm not. I, I, I'm, I don't consider myself a movie star. I've never been a, a movie star in that sense. Uh, I did a lot of different work and a lot of different things. And I worked on the stage. I worked in, in television. Uh, I worked occasionally in film. I didn't come here to confess this. <laughs> so, so, but, but, but as a follow-up to that, because now I'm curious, so then what is it that motivates you towards something that you're going to do creatively? Is it, is it, is it the engagement? It's the, it's the vehicle. It, uh, is the vehicle interesting? Is it, is it just... And when Paul told me about admission, I thought it was a wonderful idea. And I, when I was eager to play Tina Fey's mother... Uh, because we're separated generationally, you know, in the comedy field. And, uh, and of course, all she wanted to talk about was 9 to 5, or Credible Shrinking Woman, <laughs> which she saw when she was a kid. <laughs> and all that's fine, but I, I didn't really expect... Uh, I, I, I just liked the project, so I liked it. I liked the idea about admission. I liked Paul's ideas, the way he was going to deal with it, and... The, the stylization of people dropping through the trap doors and then the, the in earnest, uh, the, the fact that every character was making an admission or they had an admission that would free them. And my character, I felt, was that she had, and she was a feminist, and I had lots of friends who had been writers who were feminists who had, with the um, passage of time, had, you know, their their fame had waned a bit, and... Uh, they were still, they were published and they were celebrated by older feminists who had been a part of the movement. And, um, and that's what I saw in uh, Susanna. That was my care. I don't mean to talk about, it sort of sets me up for talking about you. Let's not do that. Well, let, let, well let's, let's talk about Paul for a minute. And Paul, if you could tell us about which character from this film... Um, 
helped you sort of start the process? Did it, did it start with one character? Did it start with the overall scenario? Maybe you could kind of set up the story by telling us a bit about how it, how it was created in your mind or where it sort of came from. Um, yeah, it was the initial situation of this granddaughter, of this young woman showing up uh, at her grandmother's and uh, basically she's pregnant and at the beginning of the day has made the decision that she does not want to have the baby. And uh, basically her grandmother is a feminist, very conscious of women's history and at the same time says to her, is this something that you thought about because it's, it's something that you'll think about at some point every day for the rest of your life. Um, it's not a lightly taken thing. Um, but the movie actually essentially is about a young woman who doesn't know how to stand up for herself, has this crappy baby daddy um, who you saw in the trailer, um, and who doesn't know how to, how, to, how to tell people to shove it when they need it. And, and she has a grandmother who is, um, teaches her how to be a woman and a feminist during the course of the film. And the grandmother on her own part is getting over the loss of a long-term love. It, one funny thing about, an intimidating thing about writing something for Lily is she has an in-house brilliant writer in Jane Wagner, uh, her partner of over 40 years. Um, and so I knew I was in somebody else's office, essentially, um, and was hoping <laughs> that, that Jane would approve of the project, um, you know, beyond Lily. Um, uh, but in my mind, when I sat down to write this thing, it was when Admission came out, and I just felt sort of, when you're a director, you have an illusion of being able to be in control. When your film comes out, you have no Is control. Is called an illusion of grandeur? <laughs> delusion, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I sat down to write this, and, and then when I heard Lily's voice, the thing just kept going. Um, so without having met Lily, I wouldn't have written it, because she really was informing and collaborating with me before, you know, before she knew about it. Oh, before I write, before I knew, because I was just an actress on admission. Well, yeah, and you were, you were doing a performance in my head, which, um, <laughs> you know, which you exceeded. Does, does Jane have to have a role in approving something no, of this type? No, no, she or? doesn't. That, that could be intimidating, as he said, for someone like him. Yeah, I know. I, 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 in retrospect, I realized that you were sort of uh, fishing around to find out if Jane liked it or not. Well, yeah. <laughs> and she hadn't, she hadn't read it. You know, and up until way up until we were in, well into it, and the only thing she worried about was that we we had no we did it under six thousand six hundred thousand and for in nineteen days, and she was concerned that we might not be able to finish it. Yeah, I mean the great thing was there there was never a moment of I felt rushing for the acting. Uh, um, no, it was and, glorious. Uh, there was also nothing written that didn't. That, I, this is the 10th film I've directed. Most of them have been studio films. And I realized as I went along that what I learned was what I didn't need, um, which is really important if you have 19 days. And um, he indulged <laughs> me more than once because you, you let me film like some little adjunct to something that I thought would be real funny. It wasn't and indulgence. It was fantastic. Uh, but, the, no. but the other thing you said that Jane was worried about was that you were using your actual car, which had been sitting dormant in your driveway. <laughs> For like 30 years, which is a yeah, terrifying... Well, Jane, yeah, Jane did say, yeah, you're not really going to drive it, are you? And Because yeah. you have to pump the brakes, and it's, yeah. a, it's a 55. The car is a 55, so it's pretty old. Yeah, so that was Lily's actual car in the movie. Or a car that just sits out in the sun. <laughs> I imagine... Something? No. 
not often that you asked to get you're asked to bring your own car to work. <laughs> it was a uh, self-drive and then keep driving it during the film. Bring your own car. So and and elaborating on that, um, tell me about the the process of working on something in such a short period of time on such a low budget. You've certainly worked on on a range of projects and in a, with a range of directors, studio to more independent. But um, for this particular project, was that liberating? Did you ever feel like oh, it was? I think it, it's liberating, way liberating, more, just more alive, <laughs> more immediate. Um, I, I would, I would sort of like dread doing a. I would look at a big budget studio film, in a different way, you know. I would, because my experience doing this was, just so right, so good. And everybody in the film is so good. I mean, Paul just was able to draw in great actors. Well, Sam, Marcia Gay, Julia, everybody. So in the movie, you're, you're teaching this young woman about growing up. She's dealing with um, this major event in her life. And I don't know how much we're supposed to give away or not, but she's well, dealing with the I'm major. Give away the ending, but yeah. Um, but so you're instructing her. Your, your character is instructing this other character. But... Offset, do you find that um, your role with other performers on, you know, in a film is similar? Is similar where, where people are looking to you for guidance? Other actors or actresses are looking to you for guidance, especially younger folks. Is that something that that ends up being also part of a dynamic, <laughs> off camera? Uh, well, I can't think of any younger actors than Julia <laughs> that I've ever that I've had a job with. Can you? Not really. No, I don't. I, well. Paul said that, did he? I'm wondering if that if that dynamic happens with you, with other actors on set, if they if they sort of look to you for. Well, I think it depends direction. on how young they are. I mean, Tina didn't ask me for any guidance. <laughs> <laughs> Tina Fey, she asked me like you know like what was it like working with Dolly and Jane maybe. <laughs> but but maybe but someone like Julia, she didn't ask me for guidance either, but. I, she's so innocent. She's so ethereal. Uh, I just saw her today, and she'd done a movie, and she has dyed her hair magenta. That, that white, silver, gold, beautiful blonde hair is like all like a real gnarly red. It's just great. But I mean, she wants to go back to her regular color. But she's gotten she's got such fine skin, and her hair is all curly. And and I just felt naturally I could feel protective toward her because I'm way older than she is. And she seems so innocent, and, and she seems so kind of, um, you know, lost in her situation. And, and you could see why. Look how, how Nat's character treated her. He says, how do I know it's mine? And he's just like totally dorky in that mm -hmm. sense. So yes, I did feel, but I felt protective of her as a grandmother to a, a young you know, child in the family. I didn't feel I had anything to teach her as an actor because she, she's so natural and so unaffected, mm -hmm. and I we wanted I my Paul had already suggested her and I, and I saw pictures of her and little clips of her and I said oh we've got to get her Paul, I wanted her so much to be my granddaughter, and so we did. Maybe the flip side of that Paul you could speak to the casting dynamic in this film not just with Julia but some of the other. Uh, actors that you chose to work on the film and, and why and how you sort of created that family? Um, well, in terms of uh, Marsha Gay Harden, uh, I remember when I first brought 
Marsha, up with you. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but you said, you said, oh, gee, do you think she'd really do it? And I'd done a movie with her, and she jumped right in. And and when I told Lily, she said, oh, that's peachy. But the thing was, it was the only moment I got a glimmer of Lily for a moment seeming mildly, mildly intimidated by somebody, which I don't think you are ever, but... I thought, oh, that's great for this because she says, oh her, yeah, I her, mean, I'm intimidated her, by Marcia Gay. She's an <laughs> incredible actor. So in the movie, she says, "I've been scared of my daughter since she was five years old." So yeah, right. I thought I could use that a little bit. And then Sam Elliott, I thought was really interesting because he's so good all the time, but he's not the roles that he normally plays. He's not called upon to show the characters cards emotionally, and that was a really great place to start from. And there's sort of a lengthy sequence in the middle of this film where you don't know what their relationship is. Um, but Sam and Lily had this really interesting chemistry together. And, uh, and then Judy Greer plays Lily's uh, girlfriend who she's dumping in the beginning of the movie. Um, and I knew Judy, Judy did a movie with me and also a play. And I knew that they, I knew how smart Judy was. And so I knew that Lily would respect her intelligence. And uh, Judy's also slightly askew um, in her comedic personality. Um, and I felt that that would have some interesting uh, sparks. Well, you just were just a genius at putting those people together. You really were. It was another benefit of having done 10 films and a bunch of plays was that I have a lot of phone numbers. <laughs> but people were excited to do, I think, uh, to work with Lily and to work on this movie with Lily, I think, where, where Lily was you know, really driving it. In her 55... Car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, you're damn right about that. I know that a lot of folks have been here for a while waiting for this event, for this free event. So I want to give folks a chance to ask some questions, especially those that have been waiting for a while. Um, so we'll start on this side, and then we'll work our way in. So we'll go right here in the second row. Hi. Question, and I'm repeating it because when we have the podcast, folks, folks won't be able to hear the question, but it's about getting more films by and about women made. Well, I mean, I think you, you're just going to have to, uh, you know, raise children and influence children <laughs> in some way so that they view women in a more egalitarian point of view, and it may take a few generations to really be effective, because we've been working on it for a long time now, and we've just slowly, incrementally made some progress. But organizations like the Film Society is very important, and all the festivals, and, and there has been, I said that sort of facetiously, but I can see a lot of you really bought it. Hook, line, <laughs> hook, line, and sinker. But so, what? it's uh, you know, It's what? <laughs> yeah, that's right. What do you think are the is. hurdles, though? You've been working on you. You've been telling. Um, well, I mean, stories every everybody with consciousness or awareness, they're always trying to make the world sort of improve on some level. And here, it it's taken a man to make a film with so many strong female roles. But Paul's an exceptional person, special special guy, man. Um, Thank you. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's just it's just it, the society doesn't change so quickly. A lot of people, um, I mean, my family are, are mostly from Kentucky. They're Southerners, and my mother's generation, not my mother so much, because she came north and lived all her 
most of her adult life in Detroit. And so, but all her sisters and people like that back in, in the South, they have a very limited view of humanity. And it takes time to change that view and for people to awaken to the roles that women can play and the women deserve to play. And um, it will happen if we live long enough. Seriously, I mean... It's been a good year for um, films that are female-driven, actually. I think it's just two things. is money and transparency. Um, uh, it's actually a good thing that a lot of the big blockbusters this year, like Hunger Games, etc., um, have, have had women protagonists. And uh, that's actually becoming more the norm. Uh, I, I would venture that if you're a studio head right now and you have a young adult fantasy movie, you're hoping that there's a female protagonist, and that's an amazing thing. And then also, recently, um, there's been some publicity about how women are getting, not only from uh, Petra Jarquette's speech at the Oscars, but there's actually been some revelation, maybe it's the only good thing that's going to come out of the unfortunate leak of information um, from the Sony thing, but disparity of pay uh, has actually, you can, there's evidence of it, and now I noticed recently that Jennifer Lawrence is being paid 20 million bucks to do something, which uh, might <laughs> not sound like a She's great... She's from Kentucky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, she's great. Yeah, she, yeah, 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 she's, she's a good egg, yeah. The Kentucky discussion. But, you know, everyone votes with their pocketbooks eventually, so. Do you feel, as a follow-up to that, and I'll ask Lily this question, um, it's interesting to me when I saw the film at Sundance that the, the relationships in the movie, there's relationships between women, there's relationships between men and women, there's these very strong female characters. Every aspect of the story and these characters, they emerge and evolve in very organic ways. Um, you know, the... It, it, it's probably a very different moment than where this film made you know, 20 or 25 years ago, if that were possible, because the types of relationships and, and the types of characters that are being explored, um, we're not being beaten over the head with them. They, they, their, their stories kind of come out very organically. Um, and maybe that wouldn't have been possible in a different cultural moment. I wonder to what extent you think that's the case or not the case, because it's not labeled as anything. It's just a story of this diverse family yeah, that and that's uh, I mean that's what I like about what Paul does I love that about about a boy that the ca the character relationships were just so just a part of the fabric and uh, and I guess I, w I wonder I mean somebody who was groundbreaking could could uh, maybe do something like this but probably not in that strictest context that you're referring to um, I think they they would ask, the studio or the financiers would ask for something that they thought was going to be more in keeping with, with the, the societal norms mm -hmm. and what an audience is going to hearken to and relate to. Did that answer anything? No, seriously. I think in terms of the aspect of the movie that's about or is swimming in the sea of women's history, um, I think there's a slight feeling until recently of this has been an erasure of consciousness, um, and that is what Julia's character, the 18-year-old, is suffering from to some degree. She's got two very powerful women, her mother and her grandmother, but you know she hasn't the faintest uh, who uh, Simone de Beauvoir or Betty Friedan is. Uh, when she hears feminine mystique, she thinks about 
Mystique and the X-Men. And um, there are tools which have been lost um, because I think there was maybe some sense of uh, uh, false victory or some di disparagement of the word feminism, which um, I, I think it's been great recently that Emma Watson and, you know, people are trying to take the stigma off that, off that word because it's, it's an important tool. What the hell I think you can blame Rush Limbaugh for the desecration of the word feminism <laughs> <laughs> and the word liberal. Just kind of kidding, but not totally. Um, okay, so there was a question up here, and so we'll wait for the microphone uh, all the way to the center. Hi. Hi. Um, I saw this film at Tribeca, and this movie's been on my mind since April, like every single day, and I'd just like to thank you, Paul, for the refreshing representation of females in film with depth. I think Thanks. it's incredible. And um, my question is for Lily, actually. Um, because this film was written with you in mind, do you feel like you related to this character more than your previous roles? Um, well, it was it was a very organic role for me to do. I mean, we. I mean, I've I've and I don't know if that's because I've generally been, not exclusively, but I've been generally involved in sort of big studio comedies, and so, so I I think. I think I must relate to this character more than other characters I've played. Like, well, I've, I've played so many diverse characters. I played, uh, you know, like uh, the the two women, the twins in Big Business. I mean, they're not anything like me, actually. And it may be that may be some telling me something. Maybe I could have been a movie star if I'd played myself for forty years. <laughs> Instead of trying to play all these other comedic women, I think that's my m big mistake. <laughs> I, I did, I, and I wore my own clothes in the movie, so. And I didn't have a much, I didn't do a lot of hairdressing or makeup like we would normally do. Um, if we could go to the back there, and then we'll come up to the front. So in the center in the back. Uh, hi, so you really get a sense in the movie not just in the disparity between Sage and um, your character's ideological exposure, but also the gap in abortion rights between generations. I mean, there's the whole scene where they go to the coffee shop and there's no women's health clinic there. Um, and that's become a, like a major issue in terms of uh, restricted abortion access across the country. And I was just wondering like, how much um, illustrating that disparity was part of your conception of the movie or whether it was just kind of organic to the story you wanted to tell. Um, in terms of the aspect dealing with abortion in the film, um, I wasn't trying to uh, make a polemic or to have it be an issue movie. Um, it was the initial reason that I was dealing in it was that when the character showed up, that's what she was dealing with. And I think it's very easy to, um, uh, to dehumanize people who are in the, in the middle of something that's an issue and to, to consider them statistics. At the same time, I think statistically, the idea that, uh, uh, I mean, there are statistics that one third of women by the time they reach menopause have had an abortion. Um, so the idea that you have not come across somebody who has had a question or been dealing with a decision in this arena 
is specious. Um, but also, um, what's really important to me here, and there's there, the characters have varying views in terms of their in terms of this in the film. Um, what's really important to me is I wasn't reducing their humanity. Um, that if there is a political aspect to it, the, the movies that I like that are dealing with societal or cultural uh, issues are ones in which they're really human stories, like Kramer versus Kramer, talking about the the uh, fracturing of the family in America and how common divorce is. Or the graduate talking about the um, uh, the lack of meaningfulness that people were finding in corporate culture at the time, or probably uh, guests is coming to dinner or something. You know, these are just human stories um, which are in this terrain. Uh, so it's interesting now that, of course, now the movie's out. People are talking about that aspect of the movie to some degree. To me, the movie is about what we have to learn from each other, and not only what Sage gains from her grandmother in terms of being able to stand up for herself, but also that in protecting her and in having this quest, which is really a quest to help her granddaughter find a voice, um, uh, Lily's character is able to get over some grief and, and, uh, and get something very positive from the film. So. Okay, so next question, we'll go up, up to the front row. Hi, Lily. Hi. As one cast tech alum to another, how did um, going to cast help shape your career? And secondly, when you talk about writing the film sort of with Lily in mind, how much were you allowed to ad lib? <laughs> uh, we didn't ad lib very much at all, did we? No, but the reason that we didn't, I think, was that we had months ahead of time to go through the script and kick around ideas and stuff. I mean, I mean, sometimes when I would be cursing and be angry yeah. at somebody. Yeah, no, because Lily originally read the script and said, she's supposed to be a literate character. Why is she cursing so much? And I said, okay, we'll strip it back. But that, <laughs> I will say there was a good degree of ad-libbing on set in the cursing arena. I wanted her to use, like, you know, instead of, like, I wanted her to talk in a more intellectual way. I mean, she like she said, what did she say to uh, Judy when we're outside the car and... <laughs> Yeah, she calls her an ingenue and a solipsist. Oh, an ingenue and a solipsist and all that stuff. <laughs> that's, the, that's what precedes Sage in that clip saying, my friends just call each other bitch, ho, and slut. It's because she's heard this ridiculously erudite uh, series of insults traded. And, and, and you went to Cast Tech? So what year did you graduate? Oh. <laughs> what, did you? I'll be darned. Oh, I must know you. It was a large school. It had about 5,000 people in it. Uh, well, that's really choice. Did you know... Uh, oh, that was... In <laughs> oh, you know, I've been trying to find this girl that... Well, I went to junior high. Where'd you go to junior high? Oh, I went to Hutchins. So uh, I've been trying to find this girl, Betty Tell. And now she's an old woman. I mean, she's in, in her mid-70s. I hope she survived. Uh, but she was so cool, and I've told a story about her for years in my act, and I just so wanted to reach out and find her. But anyway, that's what my glimmer of hope was when you said you were from Cast Tech. But what else did you ask me? Yeah, well, Cast was a very artistic, very accelerated school, had accelerated curricula, and uh, and I wasn't in the drama, in the, they had a big performing arts department after I graduated, 
but and I didn't I never was active in the theater per se because in those days, you know, people they made fun of kids who were in the theater. Like the girls were affected and the boys were, you know, too fay and uh, <laughs> all that stuff. And so I was a cheerleader and did other kind of uh, things that would allow me to like perform and act up, but do it in a socially acceptable way. <laughs> Except to our teachers. So, no, yeah, so Cast Tech was great. I mean, Cast Tech was out of sight, you know. I really loved going there. And it would, we'd take the bus downtown and we'd go to Greek Town and hang out. And that's a good, we could make a movie about that someday. Sounds good. As a follow-up to that, so then at what age did you realize that you did want to be, a you, you masked it as a well, cheerleader? Well, I put on shows all my life. From the time I was six or seven, at the, I took ballet and tap from the time I was five at Department of Parks and Recreation, uh, which was right across the street from the old apartment house where I grew up. And, uh, and I, I just put on shows as a part of, a, part of what I did as a play. I, would, I, I think I was the world's first performance artist. <laughs> I really do, I, because I would... Uh, what kind of show or what... Well, type? my shows would consist of um, sketches, sketch, lovely sketch uh, presentations, uh, mocking some of our neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> Can you remember one of them? I mean, oh, yeah, I could. I would. I would also do my father coming home on the weekend, like loaded and trying to hang up his clothes. <laughs> Anything that I thought that was really fun and interesting, you know. And and then I would tell jokes from people I saw on television, and I would cut a rope into and restore it because I did magic tricks, and um, I I would tap dance, I would do a ballet. I'd wear my mother's slip like an evening dress. And uh, I saw B. Lily on Ed Sullivan. And I was quite attracted to her. I thought she was just wonderfully zany and interesting. And uh, other people I saw on television. And I tried to cast other kids in the show and uh, that lived in the building. And they wouldn't show up for rehearsal. <laughs> or they wouldn't, they would, they'd walk off during a performance. <laughs> I, my own brother would walk off. He'd say... Oh, this is so embarrassing. And so I began to perform by myself. I was much more reliable. <laughs> so do, do that's you, all. Do you remember the first character that you created? I do. I, I don't remember as a child what I did because it was such a melange of like just impressions and whatever I could come up with. And But I do remember being in college, and uh, I was in a, a so, so, zoology course with the girl who'd been voted prettiest girl at Cast Tech in my class. And, uh, and she was like, could be like a, she was like a split between Snow White's stepmother and Susie Sorority. <laughs> and she would, uh, so she would, so one day I was in, we were in a lab and I'm chipping up pieces of wood on my lab table with a compass point. You know, just throwing it down, picking it up, throwing it down. Woods flying everywhere, and I, and I would I was sort of addicted to s inhaling xylene, <laughs> which is uh, I could talk about this for hours. I shouldn't even. Uh, and so what happened is, uh, 
because I was, uh, I loved the way xylene smelled. Xylene was a, a solvent to clean oil immersion slides in microbiology. And so you, we'd get a little tiny lab bottle, you know, a little thick, thick glass with little few drops of xylene in it. And we'd fill up our bottle. And if we used it up it, legitimately, we'd have the right to go and fill our bottle again. <laughs> but I would just sprinkle it on my books, you know. And, I, and I'm sure, I mean, if, why my liver wasn't totally damaged, but it wasn't, so. Anyway, oh, so my girlfriend says to me, she was in her Snow White mode, and she says, you should come along. I'm going over to the Bonstel to audition for the Mad Woman of Shio. You should come along. There are a lot of small parts. <laughs> and so that was like, a, and I went over, and I got in the play, and then I got into another vehicle, and I kind of made a hit. And, uh, and I said, God, I, and I so liked being on stage, and it was so natural to me. And, all the, and I had all those years of preparation on my back porch. I'd completely forgotten about it. I was so intent on you know, becoming a physician. And so I, I went to New York, and I went, went straight up right from there about... Tony took me about 12 years. <laughs> I don't know how long. It took a while. It took more than 10. But, uh, yeah, so... So Cast Tech played a big part in it. My agileness as a cheerleader. I got all my friends on the cheer team. I was very big and important on campus. <laughs> what? Do I still have what? Oh, I've got my letter sweater for sure. They put it on display in Detroit with my uh, senior pin and a big portrait of the cheer team at the time that I was co-captain. <laughs> it was just like being on the cover of Time. <laughs> it was. Let's, let's take a couple more questions before we wrap up. So we'll go right here in the third row. Hi. Um, I was wondering if there was any reason, uh, Paul, that you decided to make Ellie's character's sexuality like a bit ambiguous or... It's not ambiguous in the movie. Um, uh, character's gay. And, uh, but, she, uh, but just the fact that she has a daughter. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, um, one thing that she says to her granddaughter early on when her granddaughter, granddaughter is beating herself up when she first shows up and says, I'm so stupid. And... Um, Basically, Lily's character said, well, I was a lot like you when I was your age. Um, and there's a point uh, in the movie where, uh, I don't think I'm giving it too much, you find out that Lily's character's had a relationship with Sam Elliott and, um, and, uh, when she was 21. And Lily's granddaughter is kind of shocked and says, were you not always into women? And Lily's character says, well, I was always into women. But I always liked women. I just didn't like myself. Um, and to be honest... Uh, if there was a point where my, my audience for this film was primarily Lily, frankly, and if there was a point where Lily had said, "Oh, I don't like this. I think this is fake," I don't, then I would have been hard pressed to keep it in. Um, but I like the idea that this is somebody who had found themselves during the course of their lives, and uh, when that was a less accepted thing early on, and and then um, uh, she knew how hard it was to get to where we are beginning to get to now which is that it's frigging irrelevant. Um, uh, and, 
So uh, the character was always it, it was it was always gay and not ambiguously so. Did you get that? Yeah, I was hoping you understood it. There's <laughs> a lot of words. Sorry. I mean, is is that something that you thought about the character's backstory? Whether that was an authentic representation of her, maybe generationally? Oh, I, I think it was authentic. Yeah. Very authentic. I think a woman of that generation very easily could have gone through that. Mm -hmm. Who else has a question? All the way in the back. Hi, Lily. Hi. Um, I know you've done a lot of different things in your life between you know, the movies and the shows and albums and everything else. I'm just wondering what else you feel like, what, what haven't you conquered that you feel like you need to do? And are you bringing the show that you're working on that he saw to New York? Whatever you were what workshopping. What show did you see? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the one that Paul mentioned nice. earlier that he oh, saw in Northridge. Well, no, I won't be bringing that show to New okay. York because it's largely a, a kind of compilation. The base of it is a kind of compilation of pieces I've done at different times. Right. And then it's got a bunch of new stuff in it, but it's, it's, not, it's not really a theater piece like The Search was, or even appearing nightly that I would want to present to a New York theater audience. Uh, so I'm not sure when that will happen. I'm, I'm hoping every day it will happen, that we'll come up with something. I'm, I'm gonna put The Search up just for a one-nighter uh, to try to inspire Jane to write a sequel or something like it or anything, anything she wants to write. I don't care what it is. I don't even care if I'm in it. I would like to be able to uh, workshop it. Work, I could, that, that's the big selling point I have is that because I can get up and just perform anything, do it well or not, but you know, perform anything and, and kind of draw some kind of an audience five people, 10 people maybe, and uh, so I can, I can workshop it for her. See, she tells she, she can try stuff and write new stuff and I can put it in and do it. And So that's my hope, is that I'll persuade her through my uh, interpretive skills. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> Just one last thing, I want you to know, Sister Boogie Woman's oh, now's Sister the time. Boogie Woman. Don't be late for now, that's my motto. Uh, I love that. Oh, Thank you. yeah, gee whiz, all those pieces, I love them. Yeah, maybe I will put old pieces together and just kick dust in Jane's. <laughs> so you're going to put Search Up for one night. Will that be, where will that be, or when will that be? Did, do you It'll already... be somewhere in California. It's just going to be, a, you know, I won't, it won't be so produced or anything. Uh -huh. It'll just be a, a telling rendition. Of the original piece. The other part of your question at the very beginning, which is actually a nice place for us to conclude, was about um, the range of work that you've done in so many different media and formats. Is, are, there, are there things that you still hope to do, want to do, are intending to achieve or accomplish? You know, I, I'm not... Uh, I didn't know I'd even have this movie, you see, and I didn't even know until a year and a half ago or something that... Jane Fonda and I would have Grace and Frankie. So that was all a, just kind of a blessing. You know, just came to us, and we were delighted, and then Paul came to me, and I was delighted. and It was something we wanted to do. We really want, it wasn't just getting a job. Uh, 
and Jane and I had commiserated with one another just prior to getting uh, me doing uh, grandma is that we, if we take a if we take a supporting role in a movie like you know some well not unlike admission in a way I don't even remember what I was paid do you <laughs> and Jane and I would be saying you know I it was twenty million like, dollars actually how much <laughs> twenty million <laughs> you really raked us over the coals on that. <laughs> They said, so Jane and I would, Jane Fonda and I would say, well, you know, I, it costs me money to take these parts. <laughs> because, you know, sometimes we bring our own makeup artist because, you know, we need a little help to be in a, a studio movie and look well. <laughs> now, see, I, I did, I did uh, Grandma with almost, you know, just very modest makeup. You saw how I looked, and I looked pretty good. And, and no, I'm, I'm just saying, if, I, if that was in a, a, a big studio money movie, I, my guess is I would look kind of grim. And, but pa Paul, and we had a great cinematographer. To Toby was just wonderful. He photographed and lit us so that we looked like people, but we looked good. You know, it's not, I'm not, I, I'm not fancying that that I would be a glamour girl in that sense, but, you know, you have a certain dignity you have to preserve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm letting you in on too much of my life. Well, um, Paul and Lily, thank you so much. Thank Thanks you a lot. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Nick Kemp and Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. <laughs>